Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Sadak, TV voice of the Cincinnati Reds, and you're up for late night Reds talk. What is up, everybody? For the last time, I'm going to be able to say it is Wednesday night, and you know what that means. Another fun installment of Late Night Reds Talk Live, part of the Believe Podcast Network. I am Tim Daniel, and we are super excited for our guest. He is a former catcher for the Cincinnati Reds, Devin Mezzarocco. Welcome to the show, man. How are you? Good. How are you guys? We are stoked to have you here. We're very excited as Nick put together this highlight reel, uh, some of your finest moments in Reds history. I'm sure you remember all of these, right? Oh, yeah. There was very uh, – it wasn't like there was a ton, right? So you definitely <laughs> – that was not one of them probably. But, uh, yeah, there was a few. There was a few. That one's like – that's the – when you and Chew went back-to-back to walk off Kimbrel, yeah, that's yeah. an awesome one. That's the best one, yeah. That was, yeah. That was fun. We had a good club. Uh, it was an exciting time to – you know, be playing with the team that we had and Braves were good. And that was a big hit for me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, we're stoked to have you on, man, to talk about everything in your Reds tenure and your Reds career. I know we've got quite a few questions uh, before we get into that though. For those who don't know, uh, what is Devin Mezzarocco up to these days? Well, I get to be a dad. So uh, That's great. I have a four-year-old son and I have a 10 month old daughter and they keep me very busy. Uh, so, you know, I'm at home with them a lot, but I'm also I joined uh, coaching the University of Pittsburgh staff last season for the first time. So that was kind of my first uh, coaching gig, so to speak. And I get to share some of my, my knowledge with those guys down there and uh, it works out good. But, you know, the college is a little bit different where you got a lot more time at home as a, as opposed to pro ball. So it works out great. And I'm a dad first and, you know, get to do a little bit of baseball for some fun. Well, that's awesome, man. I'm glad you kind of have that awesome balance there. So this is going to be really fun. And we're going to ask you, like I said, about just about everything in your Reds tenure. But the first question that I was knew I had to ask you was in 2015, there's an infamous rant where your manager, Brian Price, goes apeshit crazy with Seachant Rosecrans. There are only two people mentioned, two two players mentioned in that tirade, you and Billy Hamilton. So I don't know if you remember this, but the story was you were brought to St. Louis. You and Tucker were both coming off the IL, and they did not tell who I was catching at the time that they were being sent down to AAA for you guys to get there, and it was reported you guys were flying to St. Louis. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that. Brian, uh, very mild-mannered for the most part, but if you crossed him or – did something that he wasn't happy with. He wasn't, wasn't afraid to tell you. Uh, so, yeah, that was kind of a uh, an infa- infamous rant for sure. But, yeah, I definitely remember that. I I don't know that I had, like – I don't think it was my fault, but it was probably <laughs> what I thought. 
Yeah, it's definitely like I think like since he shirts made a t-shirt out of it where like it's like every, his quote inside his face like makes it out like one of those like when you look closely at the picture things kind of pick photos. Yeah, yeah, was... yeah. I remember it very uh, <laughs> very vividly for sure. Did you like would you like did you know about it by the time you got to St. Louis or did you there was it something you caught on to like when you got there or Well, I would have been there uh like the day before. I think that's kind of how it all started. Uh I don't remember exactly who it was, but they saw me in the airport and we were talking and yeah, you know, the day before when me, when I was getting there, the team still hadn't been in St. Louis. So I would have been ahead of the team. Uh, and that's when, uh, you know, whoever it was saw me and then brought it up to Brian. And yeah. Well, yeah, that that's Twitter though. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's how it works now. Everybody knows they're traded before they're traded. Like it, it ain't, I don't think it's that big of a deal, but you know, times change. Yeah, they have. Especially with Twitter. I mean, Twitter's crazy. <laughs> we Keep try to firm. tell people we got to advise, like, take a break from it every so often, but people don't really do it. Oh, yeah. I don't either. I mean, I'm on Twitter all the time. Yeah. Well, you kind of mentioned being traded. One of the things we were kind of wanted to was the, the day you were traded to the Mets is like one of those really unique stories, too. So you're taking batting practice that day with the Reds. And then you find out you got traded for Matt Harvey and you pinch hit that night against the Reds. What was that day like for you? You guys got a lot of good clips. I need to like, <laughs> get a, a mixtape of my, uh, my whole career. You guys are making me feel good. But anyway, uh, so I had kind of heard that something was in the works. Uh, Jay, Bruce, and Todd Frazier were with the Mets at the time. So I guess the day before or two days before when the series started, they called those guys in and said, hey, you know, what do you think about this Miserocco guy? Is he see a bum in the clubhouse? Will everybody like him? <laughs> Whatever. I don't know what they asked. Uh, but they they uh, brought those guys in and asked them some questions. And then they those guys told me, hey, you know, they might be trading for you. Let's, you know, something might be happening here. So I was kind of aware of it. And so you show up to the park and obviously the team doesn't really tell you anything. Uh, and it was it was kind of a weird day as I was going out there and we hadn't been playing very good at the time. So I was kind of hoping that I would get traded. The Mets had a better record and were competing at that time. So I was kind of excited about it. And uh, you just kind of wait, you just wait around, wait for it, get ready to play. Uh, what probably happened is they had to go through my medical records and that could have took them, you know, that was an hour long process hours just through all the stuff that they had as far as all my injuries. And uh they finally came and said, hey, you got to go talk to the the skip and the GM. They're in Rick Stowe's office. And they said, I've been traded and you're going to be playing for them tonight. And all right, perfect. I was I was excited. You know, it was cool. I'm pretty easy going. So grab up all my stuff and head over to the other locker room. And that was it. Uh, it. They they sent out the rest of my stuff to my house in Cincinnati. And then I was with the Mets. It was cool. It was it was very surreal getting a bat that night. Uh, that was the weirdest thing. I had played over, or I'd been over there, and then I, I didn't want to pitch hit that night. Like, hey, give me a day, you know? Let me let me process this. But it, all right, let's get you a pinch hit. You're gonna play tomorrow. I didn't even have any blue gear, you know. I had no batting. It was just like, oh, uh, you're gonna have me hit today. I don't think it was even the big spot. Like it wasn't like it was just all right. Go ahead and hit so you can get in the bat. Uh, so that was very weird. The it, and this is a good story, but the the next morning, I showed up. I was ready to play. I was catching Zach Wheeler, and um, 
I don't know how they got the word over to me, but Mr. Castellini wanted to talk to me uh, before the game, which is kind of weird because you have your processes and, you know, you got to get ready to play and do all this and that. And so, like, it was even after BP. Like, it was like when I was supposed to be out there with the pitcher, he called me up. I guess that's when he was around. And he called me up into his big office, which I had never been to, right? Even when I signed my contract and they gave me the, the money, I hadn't been up there for that. But he called me up there after they traded me. And he was very gracious. And, you know, he, it was just, thank you for your time with the Reds. I really enjoyed you being here. Uh, it, it was a very special moment and something that I'll never forget. And I think it kind of exemplifies, you know, the kind of person that he is and the, the way that he treats people. It, it was really cool to have him say that. The reason that, he said that they wanted to trade me because it was going to be more beneficial for me. I was going to get more of a chance to play. They had Tucker over there. We're kind of, you know, he was playing more at that time. Uh, it was a very special thing for him to do and reach out to that. And, and, and I really, you know, respect him a lot for that. Well, that's very cool. How, how was the, uh, the difference in media uh, going from the Cincinnati locker room to New York Mets locker room? There's more people, right? Like Cincinnati, you got your couple beat guys and you see them every day. In New York, like there's the national guys that are around because it's New York City. And then they have just so many guys that you don't really even know who they are, right? They just come up and ask. But I never was too worried about uh, answering or it never it was a big deal to me. Like if I played like crap, uh, I'll say, hey, man, I, I played bad. I, I, I got to do better. Uh so that part of it, like it, it didn't add any pressure. It was just more questions. That's all. Yeah. More random people walking around. Yeah. There's people. people everywhere. I mean, in, in the clubhouse, you know, in the, it, I don't know that they'll ever go back to that at this point. Uh, it, it may be changed forever because I, I, if I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think they were in the locker room this year again. Right. No, they weren't. Yeah. And that kind of changes it because you do spend a lot of time like talking to those guys and, they get to know you a little bit better. And I think it helps for answering questions. Uh, so that's kind of unfortunate, especially the beat guys, you know, the guys that are around the team every day. Uh, they, you, they have some access and they're able to just chat a little more and get to know you and get your personality a little bit better. So it kind of stinks for them. I'm, I'm sure that that's how the reporters feel as well. Yeah. We had Trent on Rosecrans earlier in the year and uh, he was talking about how like now, so like the post game press conferences are done over zoom so Bally, like the TV networks are showing the post-game press conference. So it's like their stuff. He's like, we should be getting paid by the cable provider now too, because we're giving them content instead of just ourselves. Yeah. That would be a weird dynamic for sure. And uh, yeah, that would be, that would be different. Yeah. I feel like you just miss out on more stories, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where you find things to talk about, you know, transfer around in the locker room and uh Hey, Trent, what's going on? How you doing? And, you know, uh, it's just a normal conversation. I'm sure the players like it because, you know, not that many guys are super interested in spending time talking uh, with the media. But, uh, it, you know, it kind of takes away from them, in my opinion. Yeah. So the, the 20, 2014 season for you, Devin, one of uh, uh, the, the best seasons ever for a Reds catcher, kind of walk us through that that season you know you're an all-star did you kind of realize at the time like like how special of a season that was and like the, the history of the reds in terms of like um you know the the best offensive seasons from a catcher oh i knew i was banging yeah i mean i was banging uh 
I wish I could have done it more, but yeah, uh, you know, so we got Don Long came in that year as far as the hitting coach and Don reached out to me in the off season. Uh, well, let me backtrack a little bit. They, at that time, they, it was me and Hannigan. We were splitting time the whole time. And, you know, Hanny was great. Uh, I learned a lot from him as far as calling pitches and defensive stuff. And uh, they ended up trading him early in the off season. And I said, oh, all right, I like that. I want to get a chance to play a lot. And uh, so Don Long called me, and we had a good plan going into spring training. Hey, I want you to do this, this, and this. I think that you can really be a dynamic hitter for us. Uh, we'll see you down in spring training, and I have some drills for you. I have some of this, and we'll get after it. So we got after it good in spring training, and uh, I felt good. You know, it didn't feel like it was uh, – I mean, the, the performance was drastic, right? It wasn't even remotely close to what I had done in the past. So I didn't feel like going into the season that I was way different. Like, I thought, you know, okay, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a good season. But, uh, you know, the way that I was able to perform there was exceeded my expectations, right? Like, I, when you're a young player, you don't really know what you can do yet, and you haven't been an everyday guy. You don't know what your numbers throughout the course of uh, – you know, 162 games or as a catcher, you know, catch 120, uh, what they're going to end up being. So you show up every day and at least I did show up every day and put my work in and whatever they ended up being, they did. And, you know, when you get off to a start like I did, it's uh, it's, it's difficult to mess up your season. Right. Because, you know, I was 26 for 52 with a bunch of extra base hits and uh, it was it, it was just a, a dream start. And that kind of carried the whole way throughout the season. But, yeah, I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. It was something that, you know, I was I was glad, uh, obviously glad that it happened and wish I could have done it some more. So it kind of leads me into w one question that I really kind of had coming into tonight. Um, so the Reds are kind of in a, a similar situation as to, uh, you know, where you were with, with Hannigan at that time. The Reds have currently, you know, obviously have Tucker Barnhart, who's been kind of a defensive first catcher, and they've got a a guy with a lot higher upside offensively. Um, can you kind of walk us through that? You're trying to, you're, you know, kind of known as the the offensive guy, fair or not. And Tucker's, Ryan Handy was known as the defensive guy, fair or not. Do you feel like when, when, when Hannigan, you know, got traded, was that like, do you feel like that had any sort of contributing factor towards your 2014 season? Absolutely. You know, when a team, voices confidence in you and they say, Hey, you know, we expect a lot out of this guy. We're going to give him the everyday job. Uh, you take on different responsibilities, right? Like you, you, as a catcher, you need to lead the pitching staff. Uh, you need to do your thing at the plate. Uh, but that just shows a vote of confidence. And I think that goes a long way. Uh, again, as a young player, it's hard to know that you can 100% do it right. Yeah. You don't know. In, until you have done it. Uh, so I think that that vote of confidence means, means a lot for would, would mean a lot for Tyler and certainly meant a lot in my, for me. Awesome. You um, had a couple spring trainings with Tyler Stevenson before you got traded. Yeah. Yeah. I know Tyler a little bit. What I know. So like what you saw this year when he kind of like had those offensive moments, obviously had a couple walk-off hits against Cleveland and San Diego. That, does that come as a surprise to you? Do, you? do you kind of feel like this was the ball player he was going to be 
Oh, I think Tyler's going to be even better. You know, I think that Tyler is right now is a hitter first uh, where he can spray the ball around the park and hit line drives. I think he's huge. Like he, he's a monster guy. He's going to develop more power, especially in Cincinnati. Like uh, I, I, I really think that the sky is the limit for him. I think that he, uh, you know, because there is raw power there. He, he hits balls further than anybody in BP. Uh, so I, I really think that, you know, especially sometimes you got to learn to take your shots, right. As far as trying to hit home runs and things of that nature, he'll learn that. And, and, and I really think that there's a very high upside and I think he's going to be a, a really good player. So this, you know, the Reds have obviously had this really good stretch of catchers, you know, forever. But um, I think one of the things that was really fascinating was in 2013 when you were really kind of finding your offensive stride and you were starting to hit really well and you were getting big-time hits. Um, I remember at one point Johnny Bench tweeting that you were the next great Reds catcher. Can you kind of well, talk about what that meant to you to see your name from him? Yeah, that didn't last very long. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I wish that it would. So I got – look, over here. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So yeah. whenever I had that year in 14, you know, it was – Mezzarocco and Johnny Bench, this or that. And uh, so my agent bought me that, the, the jersey. So I hung it up. Uh, but yeah, the, I mean, obviously he is the best catcher of all time and somebody that uh, anytime that you're mentioned in the same breath or he even knows your name, like that, that's awesome. So that was very cool. And, and I, I was able to spend some time with them in spring training and throughout my career. And, you know, that was always just kind of a surreal, surreal moment where, wow, I mean, this, this is pretty cool. So, yeah. How was it like, uh, you know, talking with him and learning from him, you know, you know, the ways that he used to do things back then, um, going to kind of like the times whenever you were playing, it doesn't seem like it was long ago, but the way that the game has advanced and so many different stats and advanced numbers, like, going new school can you talk a little bit about old school new school yeah the game is always changing right as far as the way that uh people think about it but certain principles can stand the test of time right uh johnny was a guy that always talked about driving the ball he wanted to hit the ball in the gaps and i think if you look at the new school stuff you know that that's what people want they want people that uh goes up there and drive the ball um his thing was helping the pitchers out Another thing, he, he, he always talked about how much he cared about the pitching staff and how much he uh, time he put in with those guys. And, and, and that stands the test of time, right? Uh, receiving is a big, a big importance in the game today, and, and that's part of uh, taking care of the pitchers. So there, there's certain new school and old school, but it, some, of the, some of the things that you have to do stand the test of time and hold up throughout. So I've got a, a clip I uh, want to play for you. Uh, you're talking about Luis Castillo. He's doing great. You know, he's uh, he, he really keeps his composure well. He doesn't ever seem like the game speeds up on him. He doesn't ever try to do too much. Uh, he really stays within himself, you know, and I think that there's a lot to that. He doesn't, he doesn't get scared by any situations and uh, – there's definitely something that can be said for that. He ain't afraid, and, uh, you know, I think he's going to be a really good one for us. So you called that um, with Castillo. Uh, what's your thoughts on, on Luis? I think you also caught Tyler Malley. What, they both had, you know, Luis struggled at the beginning of the year, but but him and, and Malley just had monster seasons for the Reds. 
what's your your thoughts on on kind of their development? You know, yes. since, since you were with them. So I, I wouldn't say that I've watched a ton of those guys, but with Luis, young players can be afraid sometimes, uh, and and maybe not like show it outright, but you can just tell like. Yeah, you know, he, he's a little scared. He doesn't quite believe in himself. Or, you know, you have one about adding and you you kind of search for it in a bullpen or get frustrated. And he wasn't that at all. Like, this guy was calm, cool, collected. Uh, there was no panic the, in, in the way that he went about his business. So you kind of knew, like, hey, I mean, that's pretty good. And then you look at the stuff, right? The guy's throwing 97-mile-an-hour sinkers, and uh, he's got one of the best change-ups already. Uh, if you can – get that break into all a little bit better. Man, this, this has got a chance to be a top of the rotation guy. And and I think, you know, like you said, he had a little struggle, but after that, I think he, he kind of proved that. And he obviously proved that in the previous years. Uh, and, and Tyler, you know, I caught Tyler. I went on a rehab trip at the beginning of 2015 or 16. I don't know. After one of my surgeries and Tyler was down there in double A uh, and I love working with pitchers. You know, I, I, that's something that I always love doing, especially young pitchers. Hey, you know, how are you going to get people out as far as what is your out pitch and where do you like to pitch in the zone? Where's your best location? Can you pitch up? Uh, things like that. So I got down there and I, I think one of the first side sessions, I said, man, this, this guy, I had never heard his name, right? I don't think he was a big high draft pick or a big, super big prospect at the time. Said, man, this guy's pretty good. Uh, and and again, he was under control. He, you know, at he had a really good fastball, like a fastball that you had to respect as a hitter. Uh, some guys you can just go up there and you don't necessarily have to you, you don't have to respect their fastball. You can just go up there and look to hit. But Tyler's like, it would just get on you and it would get on guys. And so you really had to respect it. So the other stuff at that time wasn't quite what it's gotten to today. I think he's developed a slider a whole lot better, but uh, he, he was just a really a kid that had a lot of field to pitch and, and had a lot of jump on his fastball that you said, yeah, this, this, this is going to work out pretty good. So kind of follow up on some of the Reds pitchers you dealt with in your time here, 2010, you know, you guys are good and ready for spring training and they sign a role to Chapman. Do you remember the first time you caught him in spring training? Yeah, I remember. So Chapman comes over. Uh, I don't know that I caught a lot of his side sessions early when he was first getting over here. But the first day that I caught him, he was facing Todd Frazier. And at that time, Chapman didn't have quite as good of command. And he was just throwing as hard as he could, right? Because he was trying to impress everybody. He was a new guy. guy supposed to throw 105. Well, let's see it. You know, so he uh, – he reaches back and, and he hits Todd Frazier first pitch, like right in the knee. And I thought, I thought, oh, Todd's done. You know, he ain't going to play the rest. Of he, he was throwing as hard as he possibly could. And, uh, you know, you could always see, like, there are a few guys that are made like Chapman. He's just an unbelievable athlete, you know, uh, super fast, uh, super long arm, super long, like high waisted. Uh, just, just an incredible, incredible athlete. And you do see that with the, a lot of the Cuban guys, right? Because I think that baseball is, that's their sport. And, and that's what, so these, these guys that come over, like the Puigs, these guys are unbelievable athletes, like just the way that their strength and their speed and 
they, they were just incredible. So um, Chapman was like that. He There is very few guys on a baseball field that fill out a uniform like Chapman. I mean, he's just an absolute specimen. There was a rumor that he would – he could swing it a little bit in batting practice. Can you confirm this? Well, he could hit a lot of home runs. He he, he didn't have a good swing. Like it wasn't uh, like he could never hit in a game. But if he ran into one, like he could hit the light tower. Like it, it, it was legitimate power. But I mean, he wasn't a very good hitter. But he could hit. He could hit some far balls for sure. I would love to have seen that. Um, one of the things that we wanted to kind of touch on. So right now, obviously, the World Series is going on. Your former manager, Dusty Baker, who we see here, is now managing the Astros in the World Series. Just kind of curious your thoughts on seeing Dusty on the highest on the highest stage in baseball. Again, what that's like for you. And obviously, here he is trying to keep you from getting ejected. I don't think he was successful, though. Yeah, that was not a great day for me. So, uh, Dusty's <laughs> the best. You know, I hope Dusty wins. You know, great guy. Uh very good manager, very good person. I, I, I really hope that uh, they end up pulling it out as much as, you know, the Astros could probably be somewhat difficult to cheer for. But I, I hope for Dusty that they do end up winning. Uh, but a funny story. So that day, I, I can't remember what happened, whether it was a foul tip or something. I, I, I had a concussion. Uh, and I went on the DL after that game. But – I never wanted to come out of the game because uh, if you came out of the game and Scott Rowland was there, he would get on you. So I did not want to come out of the game. I was not coming out of the game. So there was a couple calls and I figured, well, I don't feel very good. I'm, I'm just going to get thrown out. It was all predetermined. Like I, I, I don't want to come out of this game because I don't want to get ragged on. So I'm just going to get thrown out and make it from there. But then I actually got like really mad. I got so mad at that guy because he had a, he had a bad day, like the whole day. He, he, he told me about how his stuff was wet. His, 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 uh, his gear was wet. They had a late flight. Like, Hey man, you got three hours to put in your best effort. Just give me your best effort. I don't care that uh, things aren't going good. So he, he just made me really mad throughout the game and it, I'm not very proud of that moment necessarily, uh, but it happened, you know, and uh, you kind of move on. But I did not want to come out of the game. That's what happened. That's why I, I it was kind of predetermined that, like, I, I just got to get thrown out. Yeah, those, those definitely sneak up on you. Uh, but, yeah, I, I ended up going on the DL. With a I, I had a concussion in double A, and I got real mad, too. Uh, so maybe that's kind of like a symptom. I really don't know. But. It probably is. <laughs> But it's like speaking on that, like, you know, concussions, like how many do you think you had or even near, you know, with all those foul tips and thing that, you know, all of us take for granted. He always a catcher. He's got a mask. He's fine. I think it was like two or three. Um, yeah. I, I think I had two or three. And they kind of resolved themselves fairly quickly. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I seem to always get I think I was close. Uh, to the plate, so I seem to always get hit with back swings and that, and uh, yeah, it happened. But like, I, I always, you know, I came up base with Hannigan usually, like every level, and so just seeing that guy, you know, he would come to spring training, you know, he was looking pretty good, a little beefed up, like, all right, Hannigan's ready to go this year, and then by like you know, August, he's lost like 20 pounds throughout the course of the season. Uh, yeah, Hannigan did always lose, uh. So I was the opposite. Like I gained weight playing. 
which is hard yeah. to believe, but you get really good spreads too, right? <laughs> you get good spreads when you're in the big league. So uh, I was always one that like, I like to eat. I'm an Italian guy, right? So I never had any issues crushing the spread. So I always gain weight during the season, which is different than most. And for the same, for the, I mean, I never played other than 14. I think I only ended up playing like 105 games. It wasn't like I was playing every single day. Uh, and especially there, once I got hurt, I didn't play at all. But, you know, so I always end up gaining weight. Devin, who's one of the more underrated teammates think, that, that you really just enjoyed playing with? Oh, man. We had, you know, so 12 and 13, we had a very, I would say, tight-knit, like, a lot of guys that really wanted to win. A lot of guys that were there for the right reasons. And uh, – we we had we had a number of characters like you know Sam Lecure and uh, uh, Ryan Ludwig were characters at that time that kind of always kept the mood quiet uh, or kept the mood everybody excited and interested it was fun and uh, you know Cozart was always kind of my guy he was he was him and Heisey were my best buddies at that time and you know they were just quiet and kind of went about their business and did the right way. Uh, we, we had a really good group of, of, of tight knit guys that, that, uh, that just enjoyed, you know, going out there and trying to win. I do want to ask you about one moment in particular. I mentioned it in the, in the introduction. So I, you know, you guys are playing Atlanta. It's like a weeknight game. You guys are down two to one, the ninth inning and Kimbrell's on the mound. And at this point, Kimbrell is the baddest dude on the mound. Like this is, I don't think at that, I think at that point his ERA was under one. His strikeout to walk ratio was completely just lopsided. And of course, you and Shin Su Chu hit back to back home runs to walk off the Braves and win that game that day. So, do you remember, like, because I believe you pinch hit that at bat, right? You didn't start that day. I did. Yeah. I pinch hit. I was the last guy on the bench. But there was no one else left. <laughs> do you remember, like, was it something where, like, Brian was, like, just, you know, no, this was Dusty at the time. Was it, like, just, like, get a hit or were you, like, no, no, they don't like, tell you nothing, like, when you're going to hit. Uh, they, you know, you're going to hit. That's really it. And uh, I, I kind of remember the bat. I want to say we, it was 3-0 or, he, you know, he had thrown three balls. I, he must have got the first two guys out very quickly. It was 3-0, 3-1, something of that nature. And I took the 3-1 pitch uh, because I was like, well, I, you know, I, I need to see another pitch. I don't think he's going to throw a uh, breaking ball free too. So I, I need to give him a chance to walk me because, you know, Chu was on deck and he had an unbelievable year and, and was a great hitter. So I said, I got to try to find a way to get on base. Uh, so I took the three, one pitch and it was down in a way. And so at, when you're hitting, you kind of, you, you visualize kind of the pitch that you want to hit next. And I said, you know, there, there's no way he's going to throw something inside. <clears throat> I'm just going to look for the exact same pitch and uh, that's where I'm swinging. It's got to be a heater. And I, I mean, he threw the exact same pitch. It couldn't have been any more perfect. And I think that was, I had no power to right field, legitimately none. And that was like one of the only opposite field home runs that I ever hit. I was just trying to get on base and get hit something in that gap. And uh, you know, that part of the park, at certain times of the year, it, it didn't play very big. So it ended up getting out. But yeah, I, I was pretty pumped up about that one. That that a hit like that as a as a player will carry you for like three weeks. 
uh, you know, oh, well, I, I struck out three times a day, but do you remember? I remember that hit. I'm feeling good. You know, I, I like that. So it, that was a big, big moment and definitely something that, you know, throughout my career, I'll never forget. I was at that game. That was a, that was a real, that was a special one. Actually, um, so I, I did a, a list of the uh, top 100 uh, Reds, Reds uh, wins of the last uh, uh, 25 years, and that came in at number 34. So, oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah, that was fun. That was, that was a really cool moment for me. Do you have a um, – everyone has them that's been a teammate with them, so I know this is asked on like every podcast – do you have a great Joey Votto story that's safe for work you're allowed to tell us? Oh, boy. Uh, I don't know about that. I, I would say, like, the, the first time that I met Joey, it was in BP, my first uh, major league camp, right? And Joey at that time was probably a lot more quiet and reserved than what he is now or kind of developed into. And so it was always kind of like, oh, you got to be careful around Joey. Just, you know, he wouldn't say nothing to you, wouldn't make eye contact. Just he'd go about his business. And, and he does. And, and that was fine. One day, I think I swung a ball in in batting practice. And this was, you know, early in camp, like one of the first times I ever met him. I don't know that we were even introduced or had talked to each other before that. He pulled me aside at one just swung at a ball, mind you. You know, it was just a little bit off the plate, and I swung at a ball and rolled it over. You've got to swing at strikes in BP. If you don't swing at strikes in BP, you won't swing at strikes in the game. And, and then he walked away, and that was it. And I was like, oh, well, I better swing at some strikes in BP, I guess. Uh, and, and that was it. That After that, you know, we obviously kind of got to know each other a little bit better and, uh, you know, developed a, a very good friendship. We got some questions here in the chat if we want to want to get to them. Yeah, by all means. Um, uh, Mr. Awesome has been with us all night. Thanks for your questions. Um, uh, you, you talked a little bit about Tyler Stevenson, but have you got a chance to watch Jonathan Indy at all or any of the uh, the, the current Reds, any of your thoughts on, on some of them? I, I would say that I don't watch a ton of baseball during season. I always check the box scores, you know, uh, I like to check some box scores at the end of the night, see how teams are doing, see where the standings are at, things of like that. Well, I don't watch a ton of baseball. I'm too busy. Uh, and But, you know, I, I saw – so this is – I'll go off a little bit here, and then I'll get back to Jonathan or, – or get back to Jonathan. But I – so I always love the draft. Like, I love this position of scouting guys. So whenever I was hurt in 2016 and 17 there um, – they invited me up to the draft room. So Chris Buckley at the time was running the draft and the team was on the road or whatever. Hey, do you want to come up to, you know, hang out with us for, for a couple of days or, or hang out for us today and see how the draft goes. So, you know, I said, heck yeah, I'll take it. I'd love to do that. So I, I went up to the draft room and, uh, I ended up staying like the whole month. I needed, I, I, I loved it. It was, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed listening to those guys, learning baseball from them, learning the things that they look for. And uh, my point of the story is that Jonathan was a draft pick. So I, I ended up seeing him more 
as a scouting than what I have ended up even watching him play at this moment. But, you know, he's just a very well-rounded player, somebody that does a lot of things really, really well, good defender, uh, good base runner, guy that can hit, that can hit for power, take walks. You know, those. that's a very, very nice player to have. And uh, I, I certainly expect him to win the Rookie of the Year, right? I think that, you know, that's that'll be a great honor for him. And, you know, hopefully uh, something they can build upon and become a, become a really – really nice piece for the you know, team moving forward. And, uh, you know, Tyler, I, I, I think the world of Tyler, I, I think that the sky is the limit for that kid. Uh, you know, there's nothing as far as the position that he can't do. He can, he's got a really strong arm. Uh, the kid, like I said, the kid can really hit. Uh, and that's hard to find. Somebody that can hit for average, take walks, work good at bats. The power, I, I just don't see how it doesn't come. Like there, there's a legitimate raw power in there uh i just think he's going to be a really really good player for 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 the team there's a lot of talk around tyler and i am definitely 100 not in this camp but there's a lot of talk with tyler that the red should should consider moving him off of catcher do you do you have any thoughts on that no no when you find somebody that can hit like that and can catch i mean my gosh that would be nuts i think that uh i think that you know, as far as the injury thing, like the game comes easier to Tyler than what it does to me, right? Like everything that I had was a lot of effort, that it was a, a lot of intent on my part. I think that Tyler plays the game easily uh, as far – that's why I had all, you know, the shoulder injury and the hip stuff. Everything was tough, and I made things a lot harder on myself. I would – let Tyler catch as long as he possibly can, you know, to have that type of a bat and an impact guy at that position, you know, that's not something you can find where you're going to put him in left field where, you know, you can find an impact that fairly easily in left field. You can put him at first base. No. So uh, to me, that's a no brainer, but you know, we'll see. Question from Jim here. Do, Do you miss, do you miss playing? Oh, I do not miss the act of playing at all. Right. Like, after my injuries there, I was not the same player. Uh, the game became very hard. It, it wasn't fun. I love being around the guys. I love being part of the team. I love uh, having the goals and trying to win. But I did not love playing the game anymore. The, the injuries took their toll on me. I couldn't just show up and play anymore. It was not a fun experience uh, towards the end. So I did not miss him playing the game at all. I miss the life and I miss being around the guys, but you know, I do not miss playing. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that. I mean, I feel the exact same way. Like obviously I didn't play nearly as long as you did, but it's got the same feeling. I mean, like I got there and I was like, okay, cool. Now what? The game becomes after some injuries and things, it becomes a job. It really does, you know, where you just got to grind through it and, it, it, it's a very tough – it was not a whole lot of fun for me at the end as far as playing. Uh, you know, it, 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 I even had anxiety like, man, I, I'm in the lineup today. All right, we got to figure this out. Uh, it was tough, you know, just I wasn't the same player. I didn't feel like I had the same skills as what I wanted to or what I should have. So uh, as far as walking away from that aspect of the game, pretty easy. We got a, a video question here from our, our, our pal, uh, Clay. 
Uh, and this one, I, I want Devin. You can you can give your input on this, but also want Carlos's impact uh, input on this as well. With the announcement that MLB clubs would now be providing housing for their minor league affiliated teams, can you just kind of talk about what housing was like before um, the struggles? Um, maybe even dive into something about uh, roommates getting called up or sent down, and kind of just. Help us understand what housing was like before this. Yeah, I, I'll start. To me, this this never made any sense. The the minor league players are the organization's assets, right? Like you want to make them as good as they possibly can, so that you can trade them or that they can provide value for you in the big leagues. And they get treated like like crap. Uh, you're on your own for everything. You get paid absolutely no money. Uh, guys that had a bonus, right? Like I was a guy that had a bonus. So I was fine, but that's like one out of 25 guys. Like that isn't the normal guys. And you're just grinding through it. You don't have a place to live. The and Carlos could speak to this, but the, you know, you would, it would be some places would have things set up. We have a little apartment building, but you got to go do it all on yourself. You know, I was a 20 year old kid that I never, I didn't know how to rent a place. So that aspect of it stunk. As a catcher, you were kind of more uh, – you were with the team more so throughout the season. As a pitcher, I'm sure you can speak to that. You're going up and down, back and forth. I mean, it, it becomes it becomes a real pain in the butt. But it never made sense to me. You, get, you don't get any food. Uh, well, how do you think that these guys are supposed to perform if they're not getting uh, fed properly? Uh, you want them to be able to produce. Those are the assets of the organization. So, yeah, go ahead, Carl. Yeah, I mean it's on the road. They give you twenty bucks a day. I mean, what what pro athlete can eat for twenty bucks a day, two meals? You know, I'm not counting the spread that they give you at the <clears throat> at the field with you know spaghetti and three day old salad. Yeah, hey, you'd have bag sandwiches out there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, you know the housing. It was like, yeah, we've got an apartment complex. Um, here's a lady's phone number. Have at it. Have fun. You know, you usually would get two to three guys to an apartment. Um, you know, a lot of the um, Dominican and Venezuelan players, like they, you know, really like to stay together. So sometimes those guys, you know, they, they had zero money coming over here for the most part. And, and those guys were like six, seven to a two bedroom apartment. And I mean, you're just like Devin said, you're moving up and down. People are falling in. Like, I mean, God forbid that you're just a, uh, you know, have two people in your apartment and then one guy leaves. Now what are you supposed to do? Pay for it by yourself? Like you're hoping the guy that will calls up will live with you? Like it's tough if you didn't get a bonus. It it really is. And, you know, the lower levels, I don't know if they still do it. Like in in rookie ball, um, low A, um, they had, um, what do you call host families that, I was lucky to have one in in low A in Dayton, which was had a pretty nice setup. But for the most part, you know, these guys were living in, in college dorms or college apartment complexes and that was not a good recipe you could always tell whenever it was college night it it, it never made any sense the 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 other thing is in the off season like and this has changed over the years but it was like okay here's your off season workout we'll see you in spring training like again these these are your assets like uh now they do more mini camps and things like that now but man i feel like there, that, that a lot of development happens in the off season. Guys get better in the off season. Guys get stronger in the off season. 
Like there needs to be more organizational input and in how we're going to do that and how we're going to go about that. Uh, and, you know, I, again, I think things have changed, hopefully, but organizations need to do more to help these guys be better and perform better for sure. Yeah. The all season program was, was enough for a pitcher. We just had to be able to run two miles under 15 minutes whenever we reported and being able to run the 50 yard shuttle under a certain time. And then that was it. You're considered ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. Other than the, uh, the, the media, which you kind of already talked about, did you notice any big uh, differences between the, the Reds and the Mets and maybe the way they approach certain things or maybe the way they develop game plans or, or any of that type of stuff? No, I would not say that. Uh, I The one difference that I would say is the Reds were like my first girlfriend. Does that make sense? Like that, that was my team. Like that's the team that I'm always going to uh, – they got my back, right? When I went to the Mets, hey man, like you just got traded for a guy that got designated for assignment. Like you got to perform, and that's all it was about. It was kind of good. Like I needed that pressure at that point in my career. Like I knew I wasn't the same player, but you got to figure this out. Like or you're going to be done. Uh, so that that part of it was kind of cool getting traded over there. But as far as the game planning at that point in my career, I was confident in what I needed to know going into a game that, and I think this was beneficial to kind of all parties, but the Mets kind of let me do what I needed to do. Uh, they let me run the pitcher meeting pregame. They let me run the meeting with the relievers. Uh, and that was great. And I, I love that aspect of going over there and being the guy, you know, that was leading the pitching staff. That was something that, you know, we had great pitchers with uh, DeGrom and Zach Wheeler and Steven Matz and, uh, it, Syndergaard was there. So I love that. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, and I'm glad that, you know, I did spend that time over there, but that as far as like, Hey man, you got to produce that. That was kind of a cool pressure to have. Can you kind of talk about the 2012 rotation you worked with? Cause you know, those guys didn't miss a start literally until the playoffs between Cueto, Latos, Leak, and those guys. Like, what was it like working with those guys during that year when you guys were yeah. super good? That is something that probably will never happen again, right? I mean, that was absolutely incredible. But at that time, we were kind of set in who we were catching. I was catching Homer and Leak. And then Annie, I mean, he got to catch uh, Bronson, Cueto, and Latos. And, uh, it was, it, was, it was kind of nice the way that Dusty did it because you were able to build the rapport even better than what you would if you were to just catch them, you know, every other start or something like that. Like, you knew exactly what this guy wanted to do. You knew exactly how he wanted to attack certain hitters. Uh, it, was, it was nice. But those guys, you know, I think that at that time we had a really good mix of, of – Bronson was a veteran guy that had been around for a long time. Uh, you know, Mike Leak was a younger guy that looked up to Bronson. Uh, Homer Bailey was just kind of coming into his own, had been there for a couple of years. And, and Johnny, I think, you know, was obviously what Johnny has been his entire career, you know, top of the rotation guy. So uh, we just had a really, really nice mix of guys that, uh, you know, and they fed off each other too. When you have that many starts in a row – 
okay, what's Johnny going to do today? Okay, you know, Latos is going to go out there and try to better him. And, you know, what's Bronson and Mike? You know, it was just a really good uh, dynamic that we had. So that kind of brings up whether that might, you know, the next question that kind of piggyback off that is this is kind of a conversation that's coming up a lot around baseball. Um, you know, the Yankees have Garrett Cole being caught by Higgy when they have Gary Sanchez, they're spending a lot of money on. Do you like the idea of like, like you kind of just mentioned, do you prefer like that idea of like a personal catcher for a pitcher? Like, do you, and you do understand kind of like from your time in the big league ball clubs, like understanding why guys did that? I think it's important to understand all the different personalities as the pitchers, right? Like everybody's different. Some guys don't necessarily need that. Some guys you can explain, Hey, you know, that's not how we're going to do it. But there's guys that absolutely need that, right? Like, this is the only guy that I like. I don't like throwing anybody else. I don't know why that his target is that. Uh, I don't know why he does this. He can't call a game, blah, blah, blah. The last thing I want would be my player to build an excuse. I don't want to give him any excuse. Uh, I don't want to have him be uncomfortable out there. I want my guy to be comfortable with the situation. And if I can't explain the situation, Hey, this is why we're catching this guy. You know, I think that uh, you have to go to a situation like that. And I mean, it's happening for sure. Sometimes around the league. Uh, and it does help building rapport. The more you catch somebody. Uh, I, I was a young catcher, so I didn't have a great backtrack of catching those guys and how to get people out in the big league. So it, it helped me for sure. I want to ask you another thing about the 2012 team. And obviously, because that, you know, those guys were that those two years you guys had were phenomenal. So, in your eyes, from being in the ball club, being in the clubhouse, why was it when Joey got hurt in 2012, you guys were able to respond the way you were, including that 10 game win streak? No, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, in the ebbs and flows of the season, things can happen, right? I don't think that, uh, I don't know that there's a good explanation for that. Obviously, you know, it would have been a whole heck of a lot better if Joey was in the lineup. Uh, I don't have an answer. Todd was hot at that time, right? Todd Frazier was really hot whenever Joey went down and he was able to just shift right in there in the first base. So we ended up not losing much, but yeah, I, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't think that there uh, was any reason for it other than just the way that it worked out. Dave, I got one last question for you. I want to hear about the, uh, the, the 2014 All-Star Game, what was that experience like? Uh, I, I see you, um, hopefully I don't butcher his name, you you faced Koji Uihara, um, and you caught Craig Kimbrell, actually, the year after you uh, you hit the homer off of him. Um, what was that experience like at the, the All-Star Game? Yeah, I don't remember much of the I, – I was just – I was so happy that I was there, right? Like, that was it. I was just taking in the experience. Uh I, I was just thrilled that I could be a part of that and shared the locker room with those guys. We had a big group. I, I, I'll take on another uh, show and tell here. But over there, I got my jersey from the All-Star game, and it's me and Araldis, uh, Alfredo Simon, Johnny, and Todd. So we all kind of uh, – it was nice to have that many guys. You know, you got your buddies, and uh, it was just so much fun. I had a lot of family there. So you go to the All-Star game – they don't tell you that like the tickets are like 500 bucks a piece and you invite all these people. Uh, so I think I spent like 10,000 bucks on tickets just for, for people to come. 
And you don't get you get like a seven hundred dollars stipend or something to be there. So, yeah, that was great. But uh, it, it ended up working out. I figured I would make it back up if uh, you know I finished the year out good. And it, it ended up being OK. I've heard of Simon. I remember him at the the home run derby. He was like going nuts. He had like some big crazy glasses on. Oh, he got a lot of energy. Alfredo always had energy. He brought a lot of energy to the team. Him and Todd always uh, they, those two would go back and forth. They were something else. That had to have been a a very unique clubhouse with all those guys in there from like from Homer to Todd to Simon, like a lot yeah, of different- all, all those guys. They ain't afraid to speak their mind, right? Like Homer will tell you what he's thinking, and uh, Todd will tell you what he's thinking. So, and Alfredo was just always talking. He was just always loud. So, yeah, it was. It was. Everybody kept it uh, pretty light. It was. Was Homer still? Like, whenever he was in the big leagues, was he still showering and putting his street clothes back on before he changed into his uniform? Oh, I, don't remember. I don't think so. He used to. So, you know, minor leagues, everybody goes out, does BP, they come back. So then as soon as we come back into the clubhouse, Homer would go shower. And then he put his Wranglers and his Johnny Cash T-shirt and his boots back on. And he'd chill for another hour and a half. And then he'd put his, street, his uniform on. No, I think he must have uh, got rid of that habit at some point. <laughs> yeah, somebody probably called him out on it whenever he was up there. Sorry, Homer. No, you're not listening <laughs> we, we got one last good question in the chat here for you, uh, De- Devin, um, from Jim. Did Dusty let you call the game, or did he send in sides uh, what to throw each pitch or certain pitching situations? No, no, the, the catchers always call the game. Uh, catchers always call the game. And, uh, you know, the thing about it is the pitchers, they can shake anytime they want. So it, at the end of the day, it's their game. Most pitchers – want to follow the catcher. So you got to kind of earn their trust and make sure you put in your homework. But yeah, catchers always call the game. Nice. Hey, yeah, I remember throwing to Jason Barrett. That, is that his first name? Right? The, the guy with the Cubs. Yeah, Jason Barrett. Yeah. Jason Barrett, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, like, I was so afraid to like to shake off. I'm like, new team, first time up in the show. And I'm like, throw whatever, like, you know, he loved my screwball, so he, like, wanted to throw it 90% of the time. And I'm like, uh, I don't want to throw it here, but okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, again, that's the part of developing report, you know. Uh, yeah, for sure. It, it takes some time for the catcher to know you. I mean, there would be times when I got traded to the Mets. I, I mean, I we went through a bunch of pitchers, and I didn't even know the guy's name on the mound. Like, I, I don't have any idea who you are, buddy. But just throw some strikes and we'll see what happens. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, that's part of it. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Devin, man, this has been super cool to have you on, man. We definitely really appreciate the time and that you stayed with us the whole hour. Uh, before we get out of here, we like to give our guests a chance to do a shout-out. Social media is where people can keep up with what they're doing. By all means, if you want, the floor is yours, man. Oh, I know. I don't, I, I don't have anything very exciting to share. You know, uh, I'm just a dad and get to coach baseball a little bit and it works out great. That's awesome, man. Well, thank you, again. thank you so much. This has been a blast. I uh, like one week, real quick before we get out of here. I want to let everyone know this is our last Wednesday night show, as we mentioned. Uh, so next week we'll be starting on Monday nights on Late Night Red Stock Live. And we'll still be uh, as part of the Believe Podcast Network. So you can check us out on Mondays. Same if nothing's really changing other than that, just a different night of the schedule. So we'll be doing doing our thing. But 
Please keep sending questions in, keep following along, and make sure you give us some solid five-star podcast reviews. Other than that, thank you all. Have a great night. We're out. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.